Last week, we looked at the creation story, and what we said is that creation starts out as a void, as a darkness, as a bit of a nothingness, and then all of a sudden, bam, light, signifying life, signifying goodness. And even as we let it play through, this word light in the, in the Bible talks about it being salvation and peace. And then after light, creation begins to unfold more and more and more. And we begin to see the world take shape, and we begin to see a picture of how things ought to be. And the message for us in that last week is this. The New Testament promises us, and all throughout the Old Testament, there are promises of a new creation coming. That God is going to do a new thing, and the God of creation, when he's at work, that is just what he is doing. He's bringing about a new creation, where things are not the way they ought to be, and they are moving forward to the way they should be. Today, oh guys, today, we arrive at the crown of God's creation, God's masterpiece. Today, we arrive at the, the focal point, the place where our eyes are drawn. What is this? What is this thing that God is creating that is this masterpiece, that is the focal point? What is it? Well, I'm going to tell you in a second, but before I do, I want to build a little tension. So we went to Disney on Sunday, um, and... Uh, apparently my kids do not care about the Super Bowl, so I took one for the team, and we went to Disney. And, and here's, what happens at, here's what happens at Disney. Um, at the end of the night, at Magic Kingdom, there's this awesome show where the fireworks are shooting up into the sky, and there's a song playing, and there's all of the great Disney characters being projected onto this castle. I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. It's like one of, the, one of the best things that I've seen. But I want to tell you this. It looks like a black and white drawing by a two-year-old compared to what God does in creation. Like a black, I mean, and I know you have two-year-olds. That's not meant to be an insult to your two-year-olds. So what I want to do is I want to just for a second think about the creation story with this kind of this image of this Disney show that's happening at the end. So imagine this, okay? There's a hush, there's a silence, and there's a darkness that's so deep that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. There's a void, and then all of a sudden, bam, these fireworks shoot up into the sky the song shouts out and the high notes are sung and the bass drum is banging so hard and so quickly that you can feel it in your chest and then you see colors like you've never seen before and it's an explosion of creativity god makes light and then this is the creation story playing out and then the song drops to a level that you could 
barely hear. And, and you, you listen in like this very closely, and there's this great hush, and then you start seeing colors swirling around, and you start seeing things begin to be formed, and the magic wand of God's voice is bringing things into shape, and the song begins to grow louder and louder, and then the cymbals start ringing in, and then all of a sudden you start hearing the best notes being sung, the high notes and the low notes, and then all of a sudden it's the burst of fireworks that's happening at the end, and it's just boom, 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 and then everything falls silent. The dust settles, and left standing is the most beautiful of all of God's creation, the crown, the image of God, humanity, but it's humanity doing something, arms lifted, looking at the God of creation in worship, worshiping the great, majestic God, the cosmically glorious God, the wonderfully intimate God, the God who is gracious, the God who is merciful, the God who is just, the God who is perfect, the God who is everything to us. This, my friends, is merely chapter one of the story between God and us. So let me read it to you. But before I do, I want to just give you, I just want to give you everything we covered last week. I just want to really quickly give you a run through of what the creation story does. So um, here's how it goes. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the spirit was hovering over the waters. And then, bam, there is light. That's the first day. And God says, this is good. The second day, God creates the heavens or the skies, and God says, this is good. The third day, God creates the earth and all greenery on the earth, and God says, this is good. The fourth day, God hangs the sun and the moon and says, this is good. And then the fifth day, God creates all the creatures in the sea and the birds in the air and says, this is good. And then the sixth day, God creates all the creatures on the earth and says, this is good. And notice this. So God has been saying, and God, it's been saying, and God said, let there be, and he creates. And God said, Creation. And God said there's creation. And God said something is created. But when it gets to the Imago Dei, the image of God, it says this, and then God said, meaning something significant is about to happen. Something even more special is about to happen. So let me read it for you. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, so here's where we're going today. First, who you are. Second, what happened. And third, what God's doing about it. Who you are what happened, and what God's doing about it. So this week, as we look at the image of God, by the way, so this is part two of the image of God. We're going to do it next week too. And next week is all about how, what are you doing with your life? Like what are you supposed to be doing with your life? That's part two, but part one is all about who you are, your identity. So what does this so, so, so very important phrase, the image of God, mean? Four things. The first thing it means 
is that you are meant to be children of God. Second, if you were alive during the time when Genesis was written, this phrase, the image of God, would have changed everything for you because at that time, the image of God was seen to be for kings only. So at that time, if you lived during this time, you would have said, okay, the image of God, yes, there's the image of God, it's the king. Or the kings were sometimes even called gods at this time. So by this saying that humanity is made in the image of God, here's what it's saying. It, it, it basically flattens. It, it, it makes everybody even, and essentially it's saying we are all like kings and queens meant to have dominion, meant to rule over the earth, meant to care for the earth. Did you hear that? Okay, third, third thing it means. You should be more impressed. Third, if you are alive at this time and you took a trip and so you loaded up on your Chevy donkey or your, your Ford camel and as you're going, the kids are in the back, you know, and you're like, if you don't stop, I'm going to make this donkey do a donkey kick and you're going to fly off of this donkey because I'm done with your, you asking if you're there yet. So that happens. But then finally, you arrive at the land. Now, how do you know that you've arrived at the place where you're trying to get to? Because there would be a statue or an image. And that image is there to say, here is the king of this land. Here is the one who's ruling over this land. Here's the one who is telling us how we ought to live. Here's the one who's telling us what life is all about. By it saying that we are made in the image of God, is saying this. We are a reflection of God. Meaning, he's the real king. And we are tiny kings and queens. We are ones who are meant to have dominion, but we're following after the greater king, the one who's teaching us how we ought to live, how life is meant to be, and we're following after him as the great king. This is what, I mean, and by the way, this is why the Bible takes so much time talking about don't have false images, because his image is already here, walking upon the earth. So first, you're meant to be children of God. To call out to God just like that. Did you hear that? To be calling out to God just like that. I'm serious. That's how we need to be calling out to God. Second, we are like kings and queens. Third, but we are underneath the greater king. And then fourth, and this is probably the best way to understand the, word, the phrase, the image of God, is this. You, me, we are like living, breathing mirrors. To be made in the image of God is to mirror God. Now watch this. This is so significant. What defines a mirror? Whatever's standing in front of it, right? Whatever is standing in front of the mirror is what defines the mirror. In other words, if you're a mirror, a living, breathing mirror, you take the shape of what you treasure most. You take the shape of your greatest love. You take the shape of what you worship. That's why the image of God at creation as it was meant to be is a picture of humanity with arms lifted up in worship of God because humanity is saying, I'm worshiping the God who's created me, so now I'm made in his image because I'm worshiping him and I can't stop doing it. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We're mirroring him because we're worshiping him. You always reflect what you worship. And you will always be defined by what you worship. I hope you're hearing this. And you're going to try to find who you are and what you worship. And you could worship anything. 
In other words, whatever is the most important thing in your life, that is what you worship. So you are made in the image of that thing. That's where you go to find your identity. That's where you go to find your worth. That's where you go to find, am I lovable? That's where you go to say, do you love me? Are you approving of me? In the same way a statue borders that kingdom, and it's to say that 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 statue is representing the king, and that king is making the rules of how we ought to live, well, this is what that means for you. If you're made in the image of God, then that means you are meant to, that means what you worship, you obey. You always obey what you worship. So to be made in the image of God is to say, God knows best how I should live. God has designed me. So I ought to live the way that he is teaching me how to live. So in other words, your worship tells you who you are and how to live. So if I took this microphone here, this microphone is wrapped around my ear and it, it bends to fit my face and so it stays out of my beard so I can bend it all around so it fits just how it's supposed to fit. Now if I took this microphone and tried using it as a hammer, it would break. It wouldn't work because the designer of this microphone did not design it to be a hammer. The designer designed it to be a microphone. It would break if I used it as a hammer. The same way when we don't live the way that God has called us to live, we become broken. It causes pain. It causes suffering for us. But not just how you live, but who you are. Your identity. Your worth. It's all wrapped up in whatever your worshiping says about you. And he has said that you are the crown of creation. The centerpiece. You know, something that's always bothered me about us humans is we go to the beach and we go see a mountain and we say, oh, look how awesome God is. Look at what he's created. That's day three. We are the crown of creation. So I... I just want, just look to the person next to you and just say, you are a beautiful image of God. And then, and then say, God is glorified through you. Yeah, good job, you guys. I'm just giving you a reason to talk during the sermon. Okay, now, now listen, now listen. So maybe it's your spouse and you're like, man, I was just fighting on the way here. Someone was making me late. And, or, or you're like, oh man, I'm thinking of this image of God. You're making this sound so wonderful, but I'm thinking about the people who've broken my heart. I'm thinking about the people who have really messed up my life. This isn't making sense to me right now, what you're saying. Let me tell you something. The reason that we have a bad taste in our mouth about people one of three reasons. Either you are not in worship, they are not in worship, or neither of you are in worship. But when both are in worship, living as the image of God, there's harmony. See, here lies our problem. We have fallen from the image of God. Why? Because we stopped worshiping him. So now here's what happens. Here's, we bear now the image of sin and death because we have turned away. It's, it's, it's a picture of us doing the very thing we are not created to do. That's what sin is. And it's an image of death because God is life and we've turned away from him. So this is the second part, what happened. As the image of God, we find our identity and, and what we, how we ought to live in what we worship. 
So we obey what we worship, and we find our identity in what we worship. And if we aren't living in a way that is in line with what it means to be the image of God, it means we're simply worshiping something else. As the crown of God's creation, your life is meant to scream out how great God is. It is something that is meant to be very natural to you. God, to just look wonderful through the way that you're living your life. Yet it's, becoming, it's beginning to be very unnatural for us. Why? Because we aren't in worship. If we're in worship, it's just very natural for God to look wonderful through the way that you're living. And it's because of this that our world is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. We don't know who we are anymore. We're scratching and we're clawing, trying to figure out who in the world we are, and we have no idea. And what do you do when you don't know who you are? What do you do when you don't know who you are? You go on this quest to try to figure out who you are. I, I, this is not in my notes, but I'm thinking of the Zoolander movie where like, he answers his little tiny cell phone. Like, he's like, having this moment, and then he, his cell phone rings, and he like, answers it, and he says, God? Like, this, this is, there's something inside of us that we're, like, we're trying to figure out who we are, and we've gone everywhere. We haven't figured it out, and finally we're just like, okay, God, tell me. And he's like, oh, finally, you're made in my image. This is, you're doing the thing you're supposed to do now. So we go on this quest, and here's what that means. We're trying things out because we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And so then what happens is we try things out and we start becoming defined by those things that we start worshiping because we're trying to figure out who we are. So we go and we try to, I'm going to go do worship this and see what happens. And we can't help but do it. We're mirrors. Essentially, as a mirror made in the image of God, I mean, you're made in the image of God, you're, you're, you're a mirror. But if you turn away from God, you're just worshiping something else, whatever you're facing. Whatever becomes the most important thing in your life, that is the thing that you are worshiping. And we start finding our identity and our worth in it. And that's what we end up obeying. So let's just think about sex. Guys, you're like, I have been. Like, Sorry, that was inappropriate. Um, <laughs> So one thing we do is we, we, we try to find our identity in sex. We're being made into the image of sexuality. Think about how obsessed our culture is with sex. We're trying to figure out who we are, and we're like, oh, this, this is something that causes pleasure. Maybe, this, maybe we're made in the image of this. Maybe this is where I go to find my identity, and then it all crumbles. I mean, think about how upset people get and our culture gets when we just talk about sexual identity. People get really, really angry. And you know what else? We use sex to sell everything. Why? Well, because we've fallen from the image of God because God is saying, okay, sex is designed to be this very intimate and private thing between a husband and a wife. And if we're not worshiping God, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do what he's saying. And so what do we do? Well, we put sex on display for all to see so that we can sell our products. All because we're not living the way we're not, it's not supposed to live because we're not worshiping God. We have a choice about what we worship. No matter whether we know it or not, we're all worshiping something. So think about this now. Imagine, there's a, imagine a father who is not worshiping God but worshiping work. 
It's very simple to do this. If you want to know if you're doing this, does work give you the greatest joy in your life? Or are you measuring your worth based off of your performance at work? You're having a good, something good happened at work. Ah, oh, yay. Something bad happened. Oh my gosh, my life. I'm the worst person in the world. And you have this pity party. Is your work teaching you how to live? Are you obeying your work schedule, neglecting time with God, neglecting your family because you're worshiping your work? So imagine a father who's doing this. He's neglecting his family. His kids don't feel loved by him. And when he's with his wife and his kids, all he's doing is thinking about work. Well, eventually, after this happens enough, the wife starts resenting him, and then he starts resenting her because she is stealing him away from his true love work. And so things start crumbling, and they start fighting. And maybe they're enemies that live together. Or maybe she cheats on him, which isn't right. Or maybe she wants to get a divorce, which, which also, like, the Bible's not, like, saying, yeah, yo, go do that. So what has happened? Well, if he, if, he would, if he would just worship God, he would understand that he's made in God's image. And then now he would live his life the way God says. And God says, hey, your family is more important than your work. And I am far more important than your work. So let me teach you how to live, not your work. So all this happens, and then he's angry because there's a divorce, and so he's spending even more time blaming his wife. He's drinking his sorrows away, not with alcohol, but with more time at work trying to escape from his personal failures. All because of what he's worshiping. If there isn't harmony among you, and somebody else, it's because either you are worshiping the wrong thing, they are worshiping the wrong thing, or both of you are. Or let's take suffering and difficulties. So, first, the whole reason that we suffer is because we have turned away from God. We have found our identity in things other than God. We stopped worshiping God, so we fell from the image of God. And we're the same way the microphone would be broken if it was used as a hammer, the same way we, when we stopped worshiping God, it ushered in all kinds of pain and suffering and brokenness and death. Your soul is designed to delight in God. And when we fell from that, it brought in all kinds of pain. But God is fixing it. But when the Bible talks about, I mean, God is, God is fixing this. And so much so that the Bible talks about our suffering. And it says that if you are worshiping God in the midst of your suffering, God will take your suffering and he promises he will bring good through it. He promises he will use the suffering and somehow make you come out like gold. The same way like gold is refined in fire, like we're refined through our trials and difficulties, but we come out more pure like gold as we're meant to be. But that only happens if you're worshiping in the midst of suffering. And it could be that you've been suffering for a long time and you're not going to God and God is just waiting for you to finally go to him so that he might let you come out like gold. But if you don't go to him, you just suffer. And you suffer, and you suffer, and you suffer, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And sometimes we suffer in the midst of worshiping God, and he doesn't fix it. And those are the times where we say, God, I don't know what else to do, but i got to learn to trust you here. i gotta, I got to know that, i got to rely on the promises that you've made that you will bring good out of this. Maybe not in my time, but strength will rise as we wait for you. Some of you might be using God as a tool. 
So think about it like this. You're worshiping something else other than God. Whatever it is. like Whatever the, your great delight is. Whatever, you know what it is. You know what you have tendencies to go to. So whatever that is, and then you go to God in prayer and you're like, God, I love you, but I want you to give me this thing because I actually love this thing more than I love you. I, don't, I wouldn't say it that way, but, but God knows it. But so, Okay, so God, you're all powerful, right? And I love this thing over here, and I love it. I, I want it, and I, I do, I probably want it more than you, so can you give it to me? Do you see how like distorted we have become in our image of, as image bearers of God? Now, some of you feel unworthy and unlovable. Can I tell you why that's happening to you? Because the thing that you are worshiping is telling you that. Think about the girl with father issues. Father's treated her badly and she goes into relationships, into relationships with men who are treating her badly. And they keep treating her badly. Why is she doing this? Well, in some way, she's trying to find redemption. She's trying to feel like she can finally be loved by the person who was not loving her that she longs to be loved by and she feels like if she can somehow find these men that are similar to her father and then finally get them to love her, then finally, ah, oh, it looks like I am lovable. All the while, all she has to do is go to her God, who's already said what he thinks about her. And, and then she comes and he says, you're the apple of my eye, I'm so glad that you're here. And guess what? This, this girl might, eat, maybe this is one of you, I don't know, but this girl might even know that. This girl might be coming to church over and over and over again, but she can't seem to feel like she is worthy and lovable. Why? Because she's still worshiping men who treat her like trash. All because of what we worship. And this is another part we have to talk about. The way we're treating the image of God in others. Now, yes, we have fallen from the image of God, but when we go through Genesis, what we actually find is that God still says, yes, you've fallen from the image of God, but still you are image bearers. And so we need to be treating each other as image bearers of God. In other words, we have great dignity still, and we should treat others that way. We've got to be more compassionate to each other. The way that we look at people because of their political views is probably disgusting to God. And then we say, oh, well, their political views are probably disgusting to God. Well, yeah, maybe they are, and maybe yours are too, and maybe the things that you're doing in your life are disgusting to God. And when we look back at history, we see the Holocaust. We see American slavery. And we see that happen, and we say, man, what are we doing this is not us treating people as the image of God. And then we go back even further to, to Rome when Christianity was beginning to take rise. And here's what was happening in Rome at the time. They'd take babies that had birth defects and they'd throw them outside of the city gates, leaving them to die. And then it was Christians who actually came, nursed, took care of them, and raised them up, and they became Christians. This was one of the reasons why Christianity was, began to flourish because Christians were acting like the image of God treating these little babies like they were image bearers. You know, I, I don't know if this is much different than the epidemic we see with abortion today. And let me say this. 
So, and I'm not talking about when a mother's life is in danger. I'm just talking about a regular old abortion, and that even sounds so strange to say. But in, in, in statistics are, say that some of you have had abortions, and I just want you to know you are forgiven in Christ. God loves you. It's okay. Like, it's okay. Everything is okay. Now, let's move on and say, gosh, how should we be treating these babies as the image of God? And I'll tell you what we ought to be doing. We should not be holding signs outside saying abortion is a sin. We should be holding signs saying, I want to adopt your baby and treat them like my own. Because that is what caused, that is what it means to treat people as the image of God. Okay, remember, so the image of God standing there, the dust is settled in worship. Humanity in worship. That's the picture, but that picture has changed. It is no longer a picture of humanity looking up at God with a big smile it is a picture of us looking around frantically trying to figure out what's going to make us feel better trying to make figure out what's going to make us feel loved well we're trying to figure out how to ease the pain and suffering we're trying to figure out how we can finally be at rest Our souls are longing, our bodies are longing, our minds are longing, and so we turn to sex and body image. We turn to our jobs and money and power and control or the praise of others or a comfortable life where there's no suffering, but somehow suffering always seems to find us. And we turn to love interest to tell us that we're worthy and lovable, but we always seem to go to the wrong places. And we make the kids, our kids, the object of our praise. And as we do that, we see uh, their success becomes our great, like what we find our identity in. And then we see other kids and their families doing better than our kids and then we start resenting those families and those kids and we start hating them secretly or we have this idea of what the perfect life is and we're chasing it so desperately and then we see somebody getting it further along than us and so we become incredibly jealous and it becomes so toxic to our souls and our hearts and it becomes toxic to our relationships. We're so far from what we're meant to be. It's like, it's like we are victims of our own crime. I'm just turning away from worshiping God. I mean, come on, come on, come on, come on. Why can't you be the husband you know you need to be? Why can't you be the wife you know you need to be? Why can't you be the parent you know you need to be, the friend you know you need to be, the coworker you know you need to be? Why can't, why can't you be the neighbor you know you need to be? We've fallen. We're very far from it. So what do we do? What in the world do we do now? To be honest with you, there's nothing we can do. Sermon over, done. Just joking. But in all seriousness, there is nothing we can do. Our sin has separated us so far from God. We're searching for him as his image bears. God, where are you? Where are you? And we can't find him, but guess what? He's come for you. He's come. So that you can see him again so you can reflect him again, to restore you back. See, the message for the Israelites, as they heard this, the hearers of the creation story, is to say, God is at work in a new creation. See, the Israelites, at this time when this is being written, they were either slaves in Egypt or they were wandering in the wilderness. Now, as they were slaves in Egypt, Moses comes on the scene and he's like, God's going to do something new. 
But let me ask, do you know God, God, is, God wants to rescue them. Do you know why he wants to rescue them from slavery? Do you know the answer? So that they, I mean, it is what, this is the answer. It says it in the Bible. Let my people go so that they might worship me. In other words, they are in slavery. And being slaves, they are not able to worship me, so therefore they are not able to be a reflection of me. So, false king Pharaoh, you better let them go so that they might reflect me again to this world. The message for us today is that God has freed us from sin and death so that we might be with him again and worship him. The sin that keeps God so far away from us, Christ has come, died to free us from sin and death so that we might worship God again. The image of God being restored. How? How does that happen? Here's how. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ, because we're looking all over for God. God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? We're like the Zoolander answering our phone. God, is that you? No, that's not God on the phone. God came in Christ. It says, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God that you cannot find. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4. Christ is the true image of God. Well, so, so we say, well, what good does that do for us that he's the image of God? What's he just showing off to us? No, my friends, listen. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed. As we look at him, God, come. We look at him. You say, well, I can't find him. Where is he? I want to see him. Where is he? I'm looking on the cross. He's not there. Where is he? It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the way to to see Christ is to behold him, his face, through the gospel. Meaning, this is the good news. Meaning, you are looking at what he's done for you. Who he is, what he's done for you, and how it now changes everything. In other words, we take on this image of sin and death. He comes into the world, the true image of God. And then on the cross, he takes on our image of sin and death upon the cross. And in that moment, when he does that, all of the wrath for all of our sin is poured down upon Christ on the cross in our place. It's not coming at us now. It's going at him. And so he absorbs it all. And we look at that and we say, oh my gosh, my God has done this for me. Who am I? Oh, what? He's taken my sins and been crushed so that they're not coming at me anymore. And then he rises, so he's still alive now. And so, okay, so now what do I want to do? Well, I want to worship him. He's God, and he's come, and he's died for me. And so you begin to worship Christ, and guess what? He's the image of the invisible God, so guess what that means for you? Image of God restored. And so now, as you worship Christ, the Father looks down, and he sees you as a mirror who is worshiping Christ. And what does he see? He sees his son, who he loves so much. And so that means all of his beauty, all of his perfection, everything that he did that you were supposed to do is covering you, or you are reflecting that up to God the Father by faith. And then it says, 
1 John 3, 2. When we see him, Christ, in all of his glory in eternity, do you know what it says? It says we're going to be just like him, meaning finally we are back. Finally, we are who we're made to be. The image of God fully restored. You want to become who you're made to become? Worship Christ and stop settling for these piles of rubbish that come nothing close to him. Just go to him. You'll find complete forgiveness, but not just the forgiveness. You find God, and you reflect him, and you're restored. There's so much here. Next week, we're going to talk about it some more. But let's pray. Um, God, we praise you, and we thank you for this, and we ask that we might understand your word to us today and that it would echo in the halls of our hearts on and on and on into eternity so that we might see the beauty of what you've done for us, so that we might see how wonderful it is, and so that we might look at you and never take our eyes away, so we might see you as our great delight, never being able to turn away from you, so that our life would look like a life of worship, and so we would be restored back more and more and more into the image of which we are created to become. God, we can't find you, but you came for us. And we praise you for that. We glorify you for that. You are wonderful. The wonderfully, cosmically glorious God who came for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.